Hi, my name is Ben Witkowski, and welcome to the Universal Language of Music podcast. Today's episode is the podcast edition of episode four, the history of music part three, from the medieval period to the present day. Oh yes, greetings, hello, my name is Ben Wachowski and welcome to episode 4 of the Universal Language Music Podcast. Hope you're doing well, we've just been tuning in and jamming out to some epic audiobook, they're getting longer and longer, I don't know where to stop, there's so much information to cover in this topic, I have got a plan to cover it all, but goodness me, we are talking hundreds of thousands of words of analyses and research. And um, yeah, my voice is just going to bloody ramble on and on and on endlessly through podcast, podcast format. So if you're in this deep and you're st- sticking with me, then you're going to be sticking with me for a long time. Someone the other day <laughs> said... Oh, yeah, like your podcast. I'm like, oh, thanks. Oh, yeah, me. (laughs) I put it on for my kid at night so he can fall asleep. Great. That's uh, that's all I wanted. That's really all I'm here to do is um, put you to sleep. You know, if you're driving, a lot of people listen to podcasts when they're driving. Um, I hope this podcast doesn't put you to sleep too much when you're driving. Um, Hopefully, it makes you inspired about music and about learning and about life. Uh, because we can never stop learning and we can never stop loving music. You just cannot, I cannot go, I cannot cover everything in this this podcast series. This is going to be absolutely epic. So thank you for joining me thus far, whether you are joining me to put your child to sleep or otherwise. Um, that's my greeting for the day. Greetings are, we've, we've covered small talk a bit, but greetings... I've, I'm really fascinated by the social dominance hierarchy of types of greetings. I don't, I don't like um, big greetings. I don't like big hugs. I certainly don't like little kisses on the cheek. Um, but it's interesting because a hug will overpower a handshake, I find. If you walk up to someone, all right, so you're walking up to someone and you know that you have to greet them there's an let's go a step back actually i firmly believe in the social etiquette of understanding what kind of conversation is warranted when you cross paths with someone in the street if it's your mate you really know them you you stop right if you're if you're walking you you stop but and you have a chat and you see what's going on um but if it's someone that you know, you don't, you know them, but it's like, eh, whatever, like you're there. I think the conversation should take place mid-step. Like don't stop. If you're walking up to each other, don't stop to to be like, oh, so how's Jill and the kids? Oh, give my best regards. Just keep going. Just to, as we're going there, let, let's do it with the microphone. Hey, how you going? Yeah, good. All right, see you then. Just, just something like that. An in-motion conversation just to sort of clear the air. Anyway, if you are going to stop and talk to this person or you might see them coming and then they they outstretch both of their arms and you're like, oh, shit, 
I'm in for a hug. You can try with your defense, get that one arm sternly out there in handshake format. But they're going, they're going straight, they're going straight through it. They're barricading through it, and you're going for a hug. I find that really interesting. I feel like a handshake. If someone's leading in with a handshake and the other person's leading with a hug, that the hug person should realize that the handshake person's not in for a hug. Mm, truth. And the other one that that I really is the kiss, the kiss on the cheek, because I don't know in Australia. I don't know what is, what is. Do you kiss once? Do you kiss twice? Do you not? Do you not kiss? Do you hug? Do you like bro shake, like man shake, and kiss, or do you just kind of like man shake? I don't know. There was um, I was at this luncheon, this like work luncheon thing, and I kept leaning in with a handshake, and everyone was going hugs and going kisses, and then it it everyone was going the double kiss. I was like, what the hell? Where are we? It's like we're in Melbourne. Everyone's going the double kiss. And then um, I was like, all right, I'm just going to have to do the double kiss. And so the next person I went up to, um, this lady, we went the kiss on the cheek and then I went in for the double kiss, but she didn't move. So then I just like consumed a ball of her hair and that was super awkward. I I just think if you go in a handshake, go a handshake, don't consume hair. Let's let's not let's not make that. COVID was great. I really like COVID because it just it just leveled that whole playing field. You couldn't even you know, people doing like the elbows. <laughs> New normal. One point five. Yeah. All right. Just fucking stand over there. Keep your mask on so I don't even have to look at you. Anyway, thanks for joining. Um, so what we have talked about in this last audio book was a very very rapid um, um, timeline walk through of essentially the last 2000 years and i didn't even get to cover all of it but i tried um but i as i was researching this and then as i was writing it out and and doing the audiobook i was like i just can't condense the information of like you know classical composers or like romantic era or 21st century music or 20th century music i can't condense that any more than than what i've got in this episode format so i'm gonna have to look into them later but i found an interesting theme certainly towards the end in the last sort of 500 years was this progression of the instruments that had been created and invented um and how music and culture kind of related to them um opera we looked at opera because that was a huge turning point in the sort of theatre of music and that that realm that, you know, that was kind of essentially the first concert. So theatre could, or opera could take you to this this realm of emotion and an emotive interpretation, you know, a lot of instrumental music as well. Um, and then looking at the violin and the piano. And I thought the violin and the piano was pretty fitting because I thought what I would do in this particular podcast is talk about you know I was talking about I've been talking about the history of music and this is kind of the last of the third part of the history of music so I thought I'd talk about my history of music so I can relate it to me um, and how I kind of got involved in in instruments and the stories that that resulted out of that and the the piano and violin play very very important parts in this story so 
I'll start with me. Um, when I was growing up, I, uh, I, uh, my mum was a piano teacher and we had this big grand piano in our house. And I'll get to the grand piano in a sec, but um, I started, you know, making some noise on it when I was seven years old and then decided to try and learn how to play it properly. And the piano was like my first love. I did uh, three or four years of piano lessons. I remember doing the the gradings as well. I can't even remember what I got up to. Not much, I don't think. Um, and used to never open the books in the exams. I always used to forget to read the sheet music and I would just play. But anyway, I, um, I learned piano at, at primary school uh, and it was... Piano was my first and and my only <laughs> true love. Um, it's my go-to instrument. It's what I, I love to play every day. It gives me the emotive release that I need. It is probably 80% of where I write my own songs come from piano at the start. Um, every song that I write has to pass a piano test. So no matter how many instruments or whatever I do to a song, I have to be able to play it on the piano in an acoustic way with just me and my voice and the piano. Um, and it has to work. Otherwise, I don't, I don't allow it to become a song. Uh, and more recently, I've started doing um, some scores for uh, film, for some movies, some TV shows, even some games, some video production stuff. And um, piano is the the basis of of everything there it's the it's the leading instrument in my life really um so yeah i started playing when i was seven but uh the reason we had this big grand piano in my house actually comes from a uh, pretty epic story so my great grandmother whose name was jimmy um was an exceptional exceptional classical pianist and I'm just going to read a little bit of her eulogy because it's a fascinating tale so she was a very at a very, very here we go at a very at a very early age she showed an astounding musical talent which was fostered by her parents when still very young she played the organ at the Presbyterian church and at the age of 12 she played the first movement of the Brahms B flat concerto with full orchestra at the Melbourne Town Hall. Okay, so when she was 12 she was playing concertos and orchestras. Yeah, well, I mean I uh I was almost as good. I had written my first song when I was 12. Um and it was about graduating primary school. Um I wonder if it's just going to work. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> she she was playing concertos, Mozart. I was playing the most basic four chords in musical theory. Any musical snob would be crying right now. But this is my graduated graduation song. Didn't even play that right. Radio. So then uh, Jimmy, she got a Bachelor of Music degree in 1912. She won every prize and scholarship available. Uh, and then she won a scholarship which meant she could travel overseas to study piano. So in Europe, she studied piano 
She played at Albert Hall. Oh, my God. Um, she got introduced to Percy Granger. Now, Percy Granger is one of the most f- fabulous and famous Australian uh, pian- uh, yeah, Australian uh, pianists in, in history, probably the best in history. Um, so she met up with Percy Granger and then she was given the opportunity of lessons in Berlin with the Hungarian pianist Doknani. What? This is elite. For anyone that doesn't know Doknani or Percy Granger, she also studied with Beno Masevich. Wow, that is just unreal. So she was a she was fantastic, and um, there is a couple of recordings of her playing a grand piano, which I'll I'll release somehow. Um, and she was just incredible. Now the interesting thing about Dokniani, who's a classical um, pianist, is that there is a you can trace Dokniani's teachings back, back, and back through all these famous composers. So Beethoven. He only taught about 12 students. Now, I don't know what the story is exactly, but Beethoven taught, I think it was Liszt, who then taught, um, oh my God, Rachmaninoff. And then someone taught someone who taught Dokniani, who then taught Percy Granger, who then taught my great-grandmother, who then taught my mum, who then taught me. So, I am a piano descendant of Beethoven. And he'd be loving this. Yeah, you're welcome. Keeping it real, Beatty. Um, so, uh, Jimmy, well, she was nervous to play in, in public. She didn't like playing in public. But um, she was gifted this grand piano. A Broadwood and Sons Grand Piano in I think it was from around 1913, 1915 area when it was made. She was gifted this piano from the leader of Singapore because she played there. <laughs> so we have this unbelievably beautiful uh, sounding and looking grand piano in our house at mum's house, um, which is the basis of why I have fallen in love with music. That is essentially shaped everything that I am, is this piano. So that's a, it's a really, really um, awesome connection. I know I've kind of fluffed around a bit and joked and um, with all this classical piano stuff, but piano runs in my family's blood and uh, I feel like when I sit around and I play that instrument that... I can feel the history. I can. F- it feels like I'm doing something that I should be doing. It feels like I'm doing something that I was kind of brought here to do, in a way. And I love it. I love. I love every second of it. I love learning it. I love how hard it is. I love how easy it is. I love how beautiful it sounds. Um, I love bands that use it. I loved Coldplay. I loved that there was a piano player as a frontman. Um, and anyone, I, I would just say that anyone that has ever thought about playing an instrument, you should start with piano. Um, it just, 
it just is magical and it's never too late to learn and you can always, always learn it. It's really easy to um, practice around and then make something very beautiful out of a piano uh, in real quick time. So always give it a go. If anyone wants any lessons, actually, uh, <laughs> plug in my own uh, business here, I am more than happy to give piano lessons. So that's the piano um, and that's Jimmy. So, um, uh, but I did grow up playing piano and then um, I remember uh, towards the end of primary school, we had this poor soul of a music teacher called Andre <laughs> and poor old Andre had a monobrow <laughs> and he used to get bullied by everyone in school because he had a monobrow. So much so to the point that he used to say, if anyone says the word monobrow, because he'd be he'd be teaching, right? He'd just be like talking about how you play a guitar or something. And then just from the corner of the room, you just hear this monobrow. And he'd be like, right, right. Stop calling me monobrow. I don't know why he didn't shave it. He let it keep going. And everyone kept calling him monobrow. But anyway, then he said, anyone that calls me monobrow is going to get expelled. And so we would say, Monorail, the peak of 12-year-old comedy, you know. We'd call him monorail, mono, monolith. Anyway, he, he caught, he just couldn't handle the, the music class, which was pretty disappointing for me, but everyone used to run amok. And I remember one, uh, was towards the very, very end of um, primary school and the class was just bunter, going absolutely crazy, throwing marimbas through the glass, you know. Flipping off, pissing into recorders. <laughs> I don't know. And uh, I picked up a guitar. And I remember finger picking this guitar. And I was like, geez, this sounds really nice. But it didn't actually sound very nice because I couldn't actually hear anything because there was so much chaos going around the room. But I thought it sounded nice. Anyway, big monobrow came up to me and he said, Ben, what are you doing? I said, oh, I just would like to learn guitar. And then he showed me what the strings were and then there I was and I had a guitar and then I I bought one. I learned how to play Wake Me Up When September Ends by Green Day. That was the first song I learned on guitar and then did about a year, I think, of lessons when I went into high school and then there we go. Then guitar became a very, very big love of mine and it just kind of kept going. Um, I started playing drums in high school as well. I played drums for this like funk, punk fusion jazz band um we were called burning sensation during urination we didn't have a singer but we had a guitarist a saxophonist slash bassist and then me on drums um that was uh that was a wild time burning sensation during urination we we knew what was up we absolutely rocked it hardcore in the school uh, assemblies <laughs> um and then i started trying to sing um, I pathetically started trying to sing. I couldn't sing, but I did sing a lot. Um, I started playing bass and uh, a bit of banjo, harmonica, organ. And um, then I was all of a sudden immersed in, uh, in just this love of learning, love of trying to play instruments and love of writing music. I used to write a lot of music in my teenage years. And that's, uh, it all started from that um, amazing piano story. Um, but it wasn't until later on in life where this second story came into my life, which 
is the most incredible thing I could possibly ever share with people. And it's the story of my grandparents um, on my father's side. So my grandparents were called Stan and Cecilia and they were from Poland. And they grew up in Poland. Um, They were born in around 1920 and they grew up in Poland. Anyway, um, Stan, he was, he played violin and accordion and um, his dad or his stepdad was a a violin maker. And so um, he played violin and he played in this like wedding band and um, they went to, uh, they got, they got commissioned to play at someone's wedding in, in Łódź in Poland. And um, they went there, I think it was a birthday party actually. And the person whose birthday it was, wasn't at home. So then they were just there, this like, I think it was a string quartet or a little band or something. And um, they just decided to play around on the street. And uh, Cecilia, my grandma, um, that's where they first met. And uh, Stan was, was taken away, taken aback by Cecilia and her humble beauty. And put his violin down and said, I must have this dance with you. And they danced in the street. Um, and then fell in love and uh, lived a, a really, really happy life for about 20 months uh, before a little thing called World War II got in the way. I, I don't even know where you start to talk about how difficult World War II was or how high, in, incredibly amazing in its, in its brutality it was. Um, my grandfather and, and grandmother's story is not a story of fighting, of killing, of, of, of anything, you know, overly macho-ly heroic. Their story is an epic story of survival through their, their undenying love for each other. So they got separated at the start of the war. Um, my grandfather, he could speak a bit of German, so he worked um, at like a post office or, or he like um, processed all the mail coming in from Germany to the German soldiers in Poland because he could speak Polish. He, he uh, sorry, because he could speak German. He, um, he was given that task. And um, my grandma got taken to a farm in Germany just to be like a sort of farm maid or like the house kind of maid, which actually treated really well by this German um, husband and wife. But alas, she was in a foreign land and um, they, were, they were very far away from each other in this horrendous time to be alive. So my grandfather was a plucky survivalist man and he, <laughs> he escaped uh, his posting. Um, but then he got caught and he got taken to a prisoner of war camp, a place called Radagosh in Wuj. And um, he recounted some stories about his time there, and it it is you cannot even fathom the words that the 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 things that happened there. You you just can't. It's not even worth. You can't cry. You can't be angry. You can't you know be amazed by the the survival. You just you just can't process it. It just doesn't. It just doesn't sound like something right you know they used to line up the prisoners 
at the start of every day and you'd either get whipped or you'd get shot. Um, they, they got, you know, almost no food. He, he got beaten so badly that he forgot his own name. So this, this, um, this person got taken in as, a, as another prisoner, a, a Jewish person who was an um, illustrator, like a painter. And grand, uh, grandpa had this photo of grandma and it was the photo was like wearing out because, you know, they were living in awful conditions. So it was starting to fade. And um, he, he, it was the only thing that was keeping him alive, this photo of her and this hope that he would get to her one day. Um, and so he, he traded, I think, a couple of days of his food rations, which is the food was like a morsel of rotten bread. Um, he traded that for the artist to paint, to draw this picture of grandma so when the picture faded he would still have this this drawing of her to to keep him going um and so he did and then yeah he, he'd been beaten so bad at this point that he, he didn't know his own name um and then one day that the guards were yelling vitkovsky vitkovsky and uh his friend or someone he met there said that's you your, your name is vitkovsky they're, they're letting you free they're letting you free and um he was out and he was released and I think he was supposed to work again at the, at the, at the post office or on the railroad. I think he was supposed to work on the railroad, but he somehow, somehow made his way into Germany and then located the farm where my grandma was and like went, you know, disguised himself as a German and, and somehow, you know, made it through and made it to her. Um, and there they were. It was they were there in the middle of the war. They were there together. He lived under a pile of hay for like two years or something, whilst um, the family knew that on the farm in Germany. But they, um, you know, they they kept him safe. They kept him quiet, and he would he would hide and he would live and he would be with grandma. Um, and you know, some some pretty brutal things happened in that time as well. They they had a kid which which then died. Um, and, you know, living in fear and poverty and all of that. But their love, their love helped um, come through and it, and, it, and it made them continue. It made them believe, it made them exist. Uh, and then the war ended and uh, it was about 1950, I think, or 1951. And um, they had to leave. Everyone was leaving Europe. You couldn't possibly live there. And so they moved, uh, they got on a boat and they came over to Australia with almost nothing. Uh, you know, a couple of kids <laughs> by this point, an old bag, but barely, barely anything. Um, but the one thing that they did bring over was grandpa's violin. The violin that he put down that was there at that party where he... And my grandma met back in, what, 1937. So that violin was there and it was, it was decrepit. It, was, it didn't work, whatever, but he brought it over and that was one of the few possessions he had. I remember dad telling me one of his biggest memories as a child was the day that grandpa came home with a floor. So they lived in like this kind of hut thing in the Adelaide Hills and grandpa was working on the railroad here in Australia. And he he got soot or like 
firm clay or something from the railroad and he made a floor and then they had a floor for their house and that was one of the like biggest moments of of their lives was getting a floor (laughs) um but you know they didn't really talk about the what happened to them all that much um not until uh we decided towards the end of their life that we well my uncle was the main one but we decided that we wanted for them this to be documented we wanted this story to live on we wanted this legacy to live on this incredible incredible story of survival and love and so um the story goes they were sitting around and they were talking to grandma and grandpa who didn't really talk about the war much but they they started reminiscing and and telling all these stories and and then it just started flowing it started absolutely exploding out of their mind and they just couldn't stop talking and so um, the family we had to grab the closest thing just to start writing all these stories down on pen and paper and it was a paper plate that was at the end of the table so we wrote all these memories were written down on this paper plate Um, an author came in and interviewed them and then wrote a book and the book is essentially like a interview really um, a bit of a biography and a bit of a story and a bit of an interview on their lives and um, the book is called a plate full of memories and it's the most important thing that i have in my life is this book because it 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 just gives me the strength to push through anything and realize that sometimes it's the simple concepts of life like survival or love that can mean you can push through anything so we have this book a plate full of memories now i'm currently writing an album and um in my opinion the best song i've ever written is a song that's that's coming out in this album and it is a song about them it's about their story it's from my uh, grandpa's point of view telling the story of, of through the war Um, And it's called A Plate Full of Memories. So this is my kind of little tapping on to their incredible life is to keep that legacy going and keep that history going and keep that incredible story going by playing and writing and recording and releasing this song called A Plate Full of Memories. So I'm currently in the stage of recording that, but really, really the thing that ties it all together just amazingly, when my grandparents passed away, um, we used some money from selling their house to restore this violin. And uh, I think it, it cost a fair few thousand dollars to restore because it was in a pretty, pretty bad state. But anyway, um, the person that restored the violin looked into it and this violin was made in the year 1719. So it is a 300-year-old violin which is sitting at my uncle's house in Adelaide. I'm currently learning violin just well enough so I can play this 300-year-old violin that was there on the day when my grandpa met my grandma that was there through the endurance of the most brutal time of human existence and was there bringing new life and new family into Australia. So I get to get better get good at it because at the moment it sounds a bit like a drowning cat, but I'm working on it and it will be on my song, A Plateful of Memories in my 
uh, debut album. So I don't know what it is about... I don't know what it is about music that makes me so like so connected to life's prophecies and and what it all means. But I think these two stories of, you know, of Jimmy and and the piano and grandma and grandpa and the violin, it it just makes me feel complete. And it's it it really, you know, personifies or typifies the the feeling I have of getting meaning and purpose derived out of writing songs and of playing music and just literally sitting down at a piano and wigging out for 10 minutes or so. I think if anyone has those things in their life or has that thing that can give them that emotion and that that passion and that meaning, it is something that you should never, ever, ever, ever give up on and stay true to and and just remember that it it that's all that that's all that you need to have to have meaning and purpose to go on in life and for anyone that doesn't have those things or anyone that's listening in and and loves music and um is you know somewhat captivated by these stories or um by this podcast series that I'm doing well then um I hope that I've given you something to enjoy. Um, I hope that you're on this journey with me and, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just very grateful to, um, have you here and, and have you listening in and coming on this journey with me. So thank you very much, everyone. If I could, um, give you a hug, I wouldn't, I would put my arm out for a handshake and then maybe, um, open up a, a, a bit of your hair, open up a bit of your hair. I'd grab a bit of your hair. Uh, but yeah, that's about it for this week. Um, so this podcast series is going to keep on cruising on. We're, we're past the sort of history lesson and now I'm going to go into a few more um, specific topics. So stay tuned for that. Uh, and as always, have a bloody good one. I'll, uh, see you later.